Though Pastor Joe, a avid Oilers fan, may contest this, uh, Sidney Crosby is considered to be one of the best, if not the best, hockey players of all time. He's won every major hockey award and personal uh, award and, and, and uh, team championship some numerous times. But it's interesting, if you ask him what he thinks about his achievements, he doesn't have much to say. And that's because, though of course he's happy with his success, he's not finished yet. He still has more games to win, and more specifically, he still wants to become a better hockey player. After winning the 2017 Stanley Cup Championship, his teammate Connor Sheary had this to say about Crosby. Driven is a great word to describe him. He's probably not satisfied with this one. He's going to want another one that's just the kind of player and kind of guy he is. Well, as we just heard read in this morning's text in Philippians 3, 12 to 16, this is also the kind of people, the kind of Christians that we are called to be driven, never satisfied with past achievements, but always wanting more, always moving forward like any great athlete, only into greater spiritual maturity. That's the mindset uh, that we are to have, and especially, as we're going to see, every mature believer, that is, everyone who's no longer a babe in the faith, but has moved on in some significant ways. Paul tells us here in this passage that no matter how far we've come, we must keep pressing on in the Christian life. Notice Paul says twice in verse 12 and then verse 14, I press on. And this is actually an athletic term. Uh, it generally described any kind of intense endeavor or strenuous pursuit, but when it was used of an athlete, it specifically pictured aggressively running a race or energetically pursuing a prize or continuously making every effort to win. And so when the Apostle Paul exhorts his readers here to press on in the Christian life, he means we are to be like a diligent, disciplined, driven athlete who never lets up. We're to do whatever it takes to behold more of Christ and to become more like Christ. Pressing on toward that goal, just like Paul did. And this is actually the same term, pressing on, that he used earlier in verse 6 about how he had persecuted the church. And so he once violently pursued Christians, but ever since his conversion, he now vehemently pursued Christ with the same passion, with the same zeal, calling the Philippian Christians and all other Christians to do the same, to have the same forward-thinking mindset. The beginning of verse 15, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. Okay, so what exactly then does that look like? What does it mean to think this way? How do we press on like Paul did? Well, as we're now going to see in the rest of our text, and specifically through his example, there's a present, past, and future element to this, to moving forward spiritually. And first of all, like Paul, we must be forthright about the present. 
So you remember in verses 4 to 11, Paul recounted his conversion story, and then he told the Philippian Christians that ever since, his singular passion was to fully know Christ and grow in Christ-likeness. But to make sure they didn't get the wrong idea that somehow he had already reached this goal, that he already was fully there, he gives this disclaimer in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So Paul was already positionally perfect in Christ. As he attested in verse 9, he had received the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Just like all of us who truly believe, we are justified, we're declared righteous by God, not by anything we've done, but by Christ has done for us and we receive by faith. He was positionally perfect in Christ, but he's telling us here, he was not practically perfect in Christ. He was still pressing on to make that his own, to obtain a closer communion with Christ and complete conformity to Christ, which he desired. So yes, and, and I love the language he uses, this, he uses here. Uh, Christ had already, did you notice this language, taken hold of Paul and he would never let him go. But Paul had not taken hold of Christ in the fullest sense. There is still so much more of Christ to be had. He wanted to know all of Christ in all of life. And not just propositionally in his mind, but personally, experientially, as he, he said in verse 10, that I may, I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Until he reached that, that final goal of perfect intimacy and perfect imitation of Christ, Paul would never be satisfied. And so he kept pressing on like a determined athlete. You may remember the infamous 2018 World Junior Championship, Hockey Championship. Uh, when Sweden lost to Canada and Sweden's captain threw his silver medal into the crowd. Anybody see that? I don't want it, he told reporters afterwards. The crowd wanted it more. Now, while some thought this was poor sportsmanship, case of being a sore loser, uh, many commentators actually praised the young athlete, noting that all great athletes inevitably are not satisfied with anything but the very best. Well, clearly here, it was the same with Paul in the Christian life. He was satisfied with nothing but the best, with complete fellowship and faithfulness to Christ. That's what he wanted. That's what he was pursuing passionately, even though he knew he would never reach that in this life. Something that he freely and forthrightly admits here which is very different than the Judaizers, who you remember were giving so much trouble to the church. This group of false teachers insisted that to have a right relationship with God, you must not only have faith in Christ, you must also follow the old covenant law and specifically circumcision. They then, as we see in Galatians 6 especially, they, they would boast in their self-righteous works. Just like Paul we saw last week in verse 4 to 6, Paul, he was once there. He was once among them. 
but no longer. He had put aside all of his self-righteous works in order to gain Christ and be righteous in him. And he knew that to truly now grow in spiritual maturity, he must humble himself and we must do the same. As Paul did here, acknowledging how far we fall short and how much further we still have to go. Not that I've already obtained it or I'm already perfect, but I press on. Now, that is not always an easy thing to do, is it? That we still have a long way to go, admitting that. No one likes to acknowledge their failures. How often we do fall short, uh, not just of the glory of God, but our own goals in the Christian life. But Paul admitted it freely here to the Philippians because he knew how necessary this is to spiritual growth. That no one will ever move forward in their Christian life if they don't think they really have much more further to go. I mean, I've pretty much arrived. I think I'm at a good place. I think that there's not much left to do. And I fear that 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 could be true to some degree or another for some of us today. That pride might be keeping us from pressing on. That we might think so highly of ourselves that we don't need that. Or maybe more likely that we want others to think highly of us. And so we feel the need to put on a facade of spiritual maturity, which then keeps us from experiencing the real thing. Well, whichever it might be, Paul's example here corrects both errors and compels us to get real about where we are in our Christian lives so that we can get moving in the right direction, further towards Christ. As Puritan Thomas Watson said, the right manner of growth is to grow less in one's eyes. And that's exactly what Paul is showing us here as he continues to encourage us with this message. No matter how far we've come, we must keep pressing on first by being forthright about the present, but then secondly, by being forgetful about the past. In August 1954, the two fastest runners in the world, Roger Bannister and John Landy, met in Vancouver for a historic race that was called the Miracle Mile and the Race of the Century. And it was a close race, but as Bannister and Landy turned the last lap, Landy was ahead. And it looked certain that he would win until he did the unthinkable, until he made the most rookie mistake. He looked back. And as he did that, his steps faltered. And just before the finish line, Bannister passed him and won. Afterwards, Landy acknowledged, I would have won the race if I just hadn't looked back, if I hadn't taken my eyes off the goal. Well, so it is with the Christian life, with reaching that that goal of more of Christ and more Christ-likeness. Using, again, athletic imagery, Paul tells the Philippians that like a runner in the race, he never looks back in the Christian life, but he keeps his eyes focused on the goal. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. 
There were things in Paul's past that lay behind him, which he chose to forget, to no longer dwell on. I mean, of course, he was aware of his past. And you remember last week, he, he spelled out his own self-righteousness in the past in order to, to teach the Philippians. But as a whole, he didn't dwell on the past. But rather, he looked ahead. And it says here, he strained forward to what lies ahead. And, and those words straining forward mean to, to stretch oneself to the limit towards an object. And, and when used for athletes in the games, it was for a runner who was straining forward with all his might to reach the finish line at the end. But here's the thing, you, you can't be straining forward like that in the present when you're still stuck in the past. And so Paul didn't look back. He forgot what lies behind and he calls us to do the same. Just like Jesus in the gospel reading we heard read before where he said, if you want to fully be my disciple, you need to not look back. You need to leave that in the past and move forward. And there's two ways that this is true for Christians. It was true for Paul. First, we must forget our past sin. Like a, a runner who is stuck at the same level and constantly falling short of success because he just can't get over that big loss years ago when he should have won, but he didn't. He can't get over his failure. So many Christians are stuck in the same spiritual level, are forever falling short because they can't forget that big sin, that big failure from years ago. And that might be some of you today. You're letting your past sin define your present situation. You can't move past your failures. And it's keeping you from, from moving forward in your faith. Well, Paul's example here is meant to encourage each and every one of us to put the past behind, to stop dwelling on our past failures and start delighting in our present freedom in Christ straining forward, as Paul says, as new creations, knowing that, behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. We must forget our past sin, but that's just one element. The other is that we must also forget our past successes. You probably know someone or have heard of someone who's maybe achieved some level of success, maybe athletic success in the past, and they're still coasting on the glory days, living in the past and therefore never trying to achieve something more. Well, there are many Christians who do the same, coasting on the glory days of our faith. When I was that zealous new Christian and I wanted to tell everyone about Christ, when I was at Bible school and I was so enveloped in the word, when I was serving in that ministry for that short period of time and was so devoted, living in the past, stuck in that kind of spiritual rut and therefore never trying to achieve anything more. And, and let me just say with all humility, because I, I hear this, this obviously isn't from my personal experience, but I know that this is especially a temptation in the retirement years in the older years, to say, well, you know, I, I served faithfully all those years, 
You know, I, I gave it all I had and I, and I, and I met this success spiritually and I grew and, and I was part of Bible studies and I, and it was great and all this, but you know what? Now I'm retired from work. So now I'm retired from church and I'm retired from my spiritual growth. I, I don't think too many Christians say that, but I hear from a lot of seniors that they, they feel the temptation and maybe they see some of their friends doing that. I remember one man who told me, he was quite older in age and, and still serving strong. And he said, you know, I don't want to take my foot off the gas pedal. I want to be driving full speed to the end in serving others, in serving the church, and in growing spiritually. And that's really what Paul also is getting at here. We must forget our past sin, but also our past successes. But, but some of us may be here today, we've, we've never moved past memorable moments of spiritual growth. We've, we've plateaued at some point. Well, again, Paul's example encourages us to move on so we can move forward. Looking forward, not looking back. As, as the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. No matter how far we've come, we must keep pressing on. And that means we must be forthright about the present. We must be forgetful of the past. And finally, we must be focused on the future. Maybe you noticed in verse 13 that the Apostle Paul said he wasn't dabbling in many things, but rather he says he was devoted to one thing as he lived his Christian life. You know, every athlete knows that to reach the highest level of success in their sport, they must singularly be focused on, on that sport. And more specifically, their athletic goals, putting all other aspects of life behind training and competing and winning. Well, similarly, to move forward in his Christian life and move closer to his goal, Paul says everything else in his life took a back seat to this one thing he most desired. That he had said earlier, described earlier in verse 7 to 11, and he restates here in verse 14, again, with athletic imagery. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul knew that there was awaiting him and every other believer a heavenly prize at the end of the race that was far more valuable than any earthly prize. Thinking in sports, far more valuable than winning the Stanley Cup, far more valuable than winning the World Series, far more valuable, whatever you want to put in that place. And it was this, it was fully beholding and becoming like Christ in the end. That's what Paul was pressing on towards. What he wanted most to experience. Increasingly in this life and fully and finally in the life to come. It was his passion. And we saw this earlier in chapter 1 where he said in verse 21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because he says later on, when I finally am in the presence of Christ, that will far surpass anything in this world. Jesus Christ 
is the one thing Paul was pursuing. His great goal in life and his final future heavenly prize. In the Greek athletic games, when a race was over, the winner would be summoned to approach an elevated stand where the, the judge of the event would be and he would be given his reward. Well, in the same way, when our present Christian lives are over, we will be summoned to the judgment seat of Christ where we will receive our rewards and our future heavenly prize. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10. Now that's speaking about eternal rewards that we will all receive to various degrees because of what we've done for Christ. But the heavenly prize that Paul is speaking about here in our text, we receive because of what Christ has done already for us. It's the promise for all believers, for all who have faith in Christ and are citizens of his kingdom that we will be with Christ forever and will be just like him in glory when we cross the finish line. It's something he talks about in verse 20 and 21 that we'll be looking at next week where he says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Only Greek and Roman citizens could compete and win in the athletic games in the ancient world. Well, likewise, it is only citizens of heaven who can run the race for the prize of the upward call. However, the difference is our final victory is guaranteed. Our prize is sure because Christ has already won it for us in his life, death, and resurrection. And understanding that makes all the difference as we press on toward that goal. We run the race, we strain forward, we press on, we give everything we have knowing that the goal we're seeking after is guaranteed in the end. The prize is already ours. And Christ is waiting for us to give it to us as a gift of his grace. All those who by faith are citizens of heaven. We run the race, we strain forward with that, we, which is such a, a freeing thought, isn't it? It's not how fast we run, it's not how far we run, it's simply that we're in the race. And we are running to the finish line with our eyes fixed on that final goal, that final prize, Jesus Christ himself. And then pressing on, moving forward from the point we're presently at, which Paul goes on to tell us about at the end in verse 15 and 16. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul's saying, look, we're all at different places in the race. Different stages of the Christian life. So don't get hung up on that. Don't get hung up on where you're at. What matters is not where you are. It's whether you're moving forward. 
That's what matters. With our eyes fixed and our minds focused again on that future prize. That's what's key. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. No matter how far we've come, we must keep pressing on. How? By being forthright about the present, forgetful of the past, and focused on the future, the heavenly prize that is ours in Christ when we finally pass the finish line. Like an athlete, again, who isn't satisfied with past achievements, but is, is always wanting more, always moving forward, always inching closer to reaching that goal and, and winning his prize. That's what Paul modeled in the Christian life and now calls every one of us to do likewise, taking on the same forward thinking so that we too can experience more of Christ in this life while looking forward to enjoying all of Christ in the life to come. Returning to England after many years of diligent and difficult missionary service in Africa, veteran pioneer missionary David Livingston was asked by a reporter where he would go now, to which he responded, I am ready to go anywhere, provided it be forward. That is the calling upon us all in our text. So church, is that also our mindset? Are we always moving forward? That's our aim. Or might we be stuck in a bit of a rut, living in the past instead of living for the future? Or maybe we're just not sure what the next step is to take. Well, in closing, let me suggest one way that I think most likely all of us could be moving forward. I want, I want to give you a favorite phrase of mine that a few of you have heard before, but, but I find it very helpful, and I hope you will too, and it's this. Make the most of your Sunday. Okay? That, that's the, the first step that I, I want to encourage all of us to be taking away today. Uh, it's simple, but so significant in our spiritual maturity it's something that was a given in past generations, but for some reason in the past generation or two has fallen away. Make the most of your Sunday. Most of us do not have to work on Sunday. Very few of us have other non-negotiable demands on our lives, so we don't have any excuses, right? We can all devote the Lord's day to worship and fellowship and learning and serving and hospitality just as the, the church throughout history has done. And I would say the majority of the church today still continues. Why? Because they know, they knew, and we should know how vital this is to our Christian life. To again, beholding more of Christ and becoming like him. Friends, we have that heavenly prize that awaits us in heaven where we will be together with God's people from every tongue, tribe, and nation beholding Christ. And, and you know what? When we meet together every Sunday, it's a little foretaste of that. It's, it's a little foretaste of that. So certainly we would want more of this. Now, of course, there's so many other ways that we can be moving forward and we want to be considering those. And I would encourage you to do that. But this should be the most basic 
non-negotiable starting place. That we take this step forward every week on the Lord's day. Gathering together to pray and sing and hear the reading and preaching of his word. Then also making the most of you know, equip classes and prayer services and other things and, and getting together in small groups as believers, maybe showing hospitality to each other, finding ways we can serve together during the day. You know, many of us who have children, it's hard sometimes to carve out enough time to be speaking about our souls and to be worshiping the Lord as a family. We have time to do that on Sunday. So again, I would just encourage us as this one step for all of us to take, make the most of your Sunday as we forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead, pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray for the grace to do just that. Oh Lord God, we are thankful for your grace that you've so lavishly poured upon us. And as we saw last week for the good news that we are made right with you, O oh God, not by anything we can do, but by what Christ has already done for us. And that we are declared righteous through faith in Christ. And it's that on which we stand. It's not our performance that makes us right with you. And we're thankful for that. But Lord, we want to then make the most of this relationship we have with you. As we saw earlier uh, in Philippians we want to work out the salvation that we already have in Christ. As Paul says here, pressing on towards the goal of more of Christ and more Christ-likeness. So we would just ask that you would give us the grace to do that, to implement what we've seen here in our text, and specifically this one application for all of us to consider how we can make the most of our Sundays. Again, not in some legalistic sense, but because we desire to have more of you, Christ, and we know that this is, at the basic level, what we need to do to experience that. Lord, may we never be satisfied with where we're at in the Christian life, but always long for more. And by your spirit, would you give us the grace to experience that? More of you. In Jesus' name, amen.